0: The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations by the American Waterworks Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource, by Black & Veatch, building a world of difference, by CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health, by Mentor APM, intelligent asset management software built for water, by 374 Water. Pioneering a new era in sustainability by Woodard and Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science and operations services by Interra, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow and by Xylem, let's solve water. This is session 216. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now, here's your host, Dave McGimsey.
0: Hello, and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter, Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey, and thank you so much for joining me. I hope all the fathers out there had a terrific Father's Day, and everyone had a great and reflective Juneteenth holiday. And what a terrific show we have for you today. Dr. Stephanie Smith of Xylem joins us to discuss water's role in solving the climate crisis and how that climate crisis presents a huge business opportunity for the water sector. Stephanie is an awesome guest, and, and her energy, enthusiasm, and positive outlook are going to get you fired up for the challenge ahead. Well, as always, we begin with a hearty thank you to our sponsors. Again, the sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for 2022 include the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Can Do, Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard & Curran, Interra, and Xylem. And that, my friends, is a tremendous collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry thought leadership and education through this podcast. Thank you all. And I'd like to, for those of you listening out there, to please do me a small favor. If you work for or with any of those sponsor companies, please thank your boss or thank your contact to that sponsor firm and let them know that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. That simple note of thanks will go a long way, believe me. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry, education, and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast director you're accessing the podcast on. It would be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. And please Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast directory of choice. Now, it's on to our featured guest, Dr. Stephanie Smith. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Stephanie, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So great to have you on. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you. And I really appreciate the invitation to join you.
0: Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to our uh, conversation today. But for those who may not know who you are, Stephanie, could you please give us a little background on... Uh, who you are, how you got to the water sector, and what you're doing in the water sector.
1: I am called a product segment manager, which means I manage a line of products for Xylem Analytics. I'm based in the Yellow Springs, Ohio office. I actually live, though, in Springfield, Missouri. Um, The products I manage are used for water quality monitoring throughout the world, uh I used to manage the the products that are used in the field. Now I manage the products that are used in the laboratory so i as a scientist I'm a microbiologist by training, and I really live sort of vicariously through my customers who are on the front lines of of doing water quality monitoring and so that's that's one of the great joys of the work that I do is I get to engage with people that are in the field in the lab. Uh, running these plants, you know, delivering the clean water for all of us and helping to protect the environment. So that's what I do. Um, You asked how I came to be in the water industry. It's actually one of my favorite stories to tell, so bear with me. Um, I attended a conference in 2008. A lot of your listeners will be familiar with the WEFTEC conference at that time, I was a young microbiologist working in the algae biofuel space. And I had gone there to attend a session about algae biofuels. And that was the first time I ever heard the term water energy nexus. And it blew my mind. It was one of the best keynote speak- speakers I'd ever heard. I honestly, I can't remember his name right now, but <laughs> It was it was mind blowing. It, it was when I realized that all this stuff I was so passionate about with alternative energy, um, it, it would go nowhere, it would go nowhere if we didn't pay attention to water. And of course, this was up. It was in Chicago on Lake Michigan, and they were having a lot of issues managing that as a water source. I just it was I came away from that conference and decided I am going to work in the water industry. It's what I'm going to do. And everything I've done since then has pointed me directly towards that aim.
0: Wow. That is an awesome story. I can, I can see why you, uh, it's one of your favorite stories.
1: Yeah, Thank you. Thanks. It's and it's uh, and I can you can talk to people who knew me back then. They're like, yep, she came back from that conference, a changed woman.
0: <laughs> so, oh, well, so. good. Uh, well, let's speaking of change, you know, the the the, the, the climate that we're living in uh, keeps evolving and changing. And I know that's something near and dear to your heart. So how do you view the climate, The you know, the climate problem that. Uh, we're experiencing?
1: Well, you know, and it's a little hard to not sound alarmist when I answer that question, because putting it bluntly, it is nothing short of an existential crisis. And I I don't mean that it's, you know, kind of the, the frou-frou psychological kind of existential crisis. I mean, it is an existential crisis for humanity. Um, it is nothing short of that unfortunately it's been a very politicized topic particularly for those of us in the u.s and uh, we lose sight of what it really is and how important it really is now that's one side of the coin the other side of the coin is i also view it as an enormous opportunity particularly for the water industry and I view the climate crisis as an opportunity for the best of humanity to really shine through. I, I I have this, this weird vision. You know how there are movies like, uh, and I'm going a little off script here, David, but, uh, you know, movies like men in black or, you know, something where there's some great alien threat. And then all of a sudden the whole world comes together and we unite against that threat and we, we overcome the challenge. And, um, that is climate crisis to me. It is that type of a threat and it's going to bring out the best in humanity or there will be no humanity. It's, it's, that's how I view climate change and the climate crisis.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and one of the kind of the keys to laying out a strategy, right, is some of the work of uh, the Integrated Panel on Climate Change and and the recent uh, Working Group 2 report. Are you familiar with Oh, familiar? yes.
1: Very familiar. Very familiar. I think the IPCC reflects what I'm talking about, meaning the best of humanity really coming together to solve a problem. Um, the IPCC was formed by the UN and it was really, it was formed in uh, the late eighties. I think it was 88, 89 is when it was formed. And I love to contextualize that, you know, at that time, the Berlin wall was about to come down. Um, You know, there were all these things going on in global, global politics. And yet the UN stepped back and said, we need to prepare the world for this climate thing. You know, I mean, when you, when you think about the late eighties, it just is really interesting to me that at that time they stepped back. I think the Soviet union was falling apart, you know, and that all of these things going on, they're like, you know what, probably one of the biggest threats to the world that we all need to come together on is our changing climate. So, the IPCC uh, formed these working groups and these working groups uh, there's there are three of them. one of them uh, is kind of the science-y group. they do the physical science of climate change. that's working group one. Working group two looks at uh, our adaptation where are we mo- most vulnerable to climate change and then working group three says okay how are we going to mitigate? both climate change and its impacts. So the most recent report is this Working Group 2 report. And over the years, the IPCC has published six of what they call the assessment reports. And these assessment reports are a compilation of Working Group 1, 2, and 3. So this most recent report from Working Group 2 is part of the sixth assessment report. And it really starts looking at the impacts that climate change, uh, one, are already having on the world's populations, and two, you know, what are the ways, where are we most vulnerable, and what can we expect to see, and how should we be thinking about adapting? So that's, that's kind of the report in a nutshell,
0: you know when claudia toussaint was on also of xylem yes. um, she she had a great line that essentially most people in the world are going to experience climate change through the lens of water um and I, I i i just thought that was a great way to look at it and and i think you from from the conversations we've had before it's it's clear that you kind of look through climate change in that lens too can you can you expand on on water's role or how water is impacted by climate change?
1: Absolutely. And I think some of us intuitively already know that a lot of it has to do with flood and drought cycles. And, and so water scarcity, um, weather patterns, those are the things that everyone in the world is going to see, touch, feel when it comes to climate change and and Claudia is absolutely right. And definitely the community of scientists behind the IPCC reports say the same thing. It is through the global water cycle that we are going to feel it and experience it. But I think the other side of that is that it is also through water and through the water sector, the water industry, if you will, that we're going to solve some of climate change the the climate change dialogue very often is about finger pointing and blaming, very often it's about well the the fossil fuel industry they're the bad guys, right, well, you know. I don't know. I'm air conditioning my house, too. (laughs) You know, we all, you know, I, you know, we're all driving to work. We we're all using those fossil fuels that, you know, it's a demand driven marketplace. So the water, the water industry, you know, people are not just going to feel feel climate change through the global water cycle. We're also going to solve it through how we manage water and how we deliver water. And one of the reasons for that is we are also the biggest consumers of energy. We, we tap into the electric grid like nobody else does on the planet. And so that's another reason that water is so important in the climate conversation.
0: Yeah, so can you can you talk about how does how does that issue how does that present a business opportunity for the water sector?
1: Well, it ends up that a lot of the things that we already need to be doing also help us solve climate change. And so when working at Xylem, I've been at Xylem since 2016. And I learned a term I had never heard before. It's called non-revenue water. <laughs> I had never heard that term before, and I, it was probably 2018 before I actually looked it up <laughs> and, thought, and thought I better figure out what that means. But you know, I mean, put what it means to me as a you know a scientist who's more of an expert in water quality is fix the leaks. Um, So when we talk about the business opportunity, you know, back then, 2016, we thought about leak management as a revenue issue for utilities. It is literally money flowing out of the pipes. Um, So you've paid, you've paid to treat that water, you paid for the energy to produce that water, you've paid for the energy to pump it out into that system, and then it's just flowing into the ground. So we used to look at this as a revenue-driven issue, but really now you can look at that also as a business opportunity that also is going to have a very positive impact on climate change because when we reduce leaks, reduce waste, we also reduce our greenhouse gas emissions because we are such an energy intensive industry. Um, I, I looked up some numbers. You know, the EPA estimates that for a lot of municipalities, 40% of the electrical grid usage is for their water treatment facilities. So that gives you, you know, there's a big bullseye on us when it comes to reducing energy usage. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the ways that we that that there's a business opportunity for us there. We should be doing this anyway because it's non-revenue water, but it's also greenhouse gas emitting water when it gets produced and doesn't get used.
0: Yeah, so I I love the points, great points because you know, people oftentimes don't think about it. Well, it takes it takes a lot of energy to pump that water and to maintain the pressure in the system and then to treat the water uh When it comes back and is returned uh via the sewer conveyance system so mm-hmm. you're you're mm-hmm. absolutely right, so what are some of the i mean do you have any specifics on how we can go about and and as you have indicated, solve that problem
1: absolutely I think we we live in a very exciting age, a very exciting technological age, particularly the digital age that gives us a lot of tools for looking at how we better manage these resources. Uh, You know, smart cities is the big buzz phrase. I I don't know if it's still the big buzz phrase. It was (laughs) pre-pandemic. Let's put it that way. Um, But, you know, I think when we talk, if we we just come back to the leak detection example, Um, you know, there are some amazing technologies for finding those leaks. and, And utilities can can set up projects that can be anywhere from one to five years to an ongoing project for uh, using technology, acoustic-based technologies, radar, uh, LIDAR-based technologies for identifying leaks in their systems and, and fixing them. Um, as awesome as those things are, the, the real work gets done on the digital side of it. The real work gets done on the real-time delivery of data, it gets done on uh, taking those data and turning them into models and predictive analytical models and saying, okay, I have this problem in my system. What's going to happen if I get six inches of rainfall that I didn't expect? How much worse is that problem going to become? So it's the digital side of the whole smart city conversation. You know, you're really pairing those digital capabilities with frankly, really fundamental technologies like rain gauges and flow meters, you know, that's not real high-tech stuff. But you just start delivering that data to the cloud and putting it through the right models. And all of a sudden, you've got a, a decision intelligence framework that allows you to address your facility as a business and at the same time have these positive impacts on greenhouse gas emissions and the climate story. It,
0: it just seems to me that at least at this juncture where we are right now, right? Inflation is, is going out um, of, at the highest level it's been in 40 years. Uh, the Fed, as we're, as we're recording this, the Fed increased rates um, yesterday mm-hmm. by three quarters of a percent. Mm-hmm. Um, the utilities that, that I have uh, spoken with have indicated, you know, Hey, Inflation has just eaten our budget. Our, our capital projects are all coming in higher than we anticipated when we were issuing debt or whatever they were doing. And so how do you how do you talk to a utility about adopting some new technology where the, the first thing they're going to say is, I can't afford that. I got to, the stuff I'm trying to build anyway is already coming in, you know, twice as expensive as I thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah, that that is always the big argument and the big challenge is well, we can't afford to make these changes. And what I think we're seeing is that if you look beyond today, you can't afford not to. And, and the reason is, you know, I I encourage people to reflect on a recent event that they may have experienced, whether it's a flood. Maybe it's a drought. Maybe it's a stormwater situation. Maybe they're dealing with combined sewer overflows. And look at what that event costs you in the near term. And and there is a financial cost. There's a human cost. There's a a social cost. There's a political cost. But there's also just a raw dollar, dollar cost. Now, What are you going to do if that sort of thing happens, you know, every other year? You know, we like, we always use the term the new normal, which uh, I don't love because frankly, none of this is normal, (laughs) but, 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 you know, you, if you really look at it, most of us can already see these events are more frequent already, And so it comes down to your return on investment and how fast you have to recoup those costs. So with these skyrocketing costs, well, guess what? The costs of mitigating the circumstances are also going up. And you're going to have to do that no matter what. You don't get to walk away from the problems that climate change is causing for all of us. So I always encourage people. And the other thing is sometimes it's a difficult political sell, right? They No one, I would never advise a water plant operator or manager or supervisor to go to their mayor or governor or whatever and say, hey, I need to make some investments because of climate change. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Good luck with that argument. But. If you have any modeling that you've been doing or that you can uh, work with a third party to do or work with your professional organizations to look at the modeling they're doing. So if you're working with AWWA, WEF, Water Resources, all of these groups are are engaged in this on some level and can provide you with data that can help you build the return on investment analysis for making these types of changes and making these types of investments. And, you know, the, you're, it's, you're going to pay now or you're going to pay later is, is how it's going to go.
0: Yeah. I I think that's a great way to look at it. And I I love your, uh, your, your, I don't want to say resort, but I I love the way you framed it as this is a data centric, Analysis where you're you're taking into account ROI, you're taking into account the dollars because utilities are the stewards of the ratepayers' money, and so that's a great way to, to to frame the analysis.
1: They absolutely are, and they all and they feel that this is something that I've always appreciated when I meet the people running our water utility. They are really unsung heroes, and I'm I'm not trying to just stroke egos here, but but they. Uh, you know you're sitting in your home you're not thinking about it you're not thinking about the person that had to get up in the middle of the night because they got that text message that something was leaking or not working right and and they're sensitive to their consumers and their consumers wallet it's their wallet too they're not getting free water and so they're not um they're not immune to the challenges that all of us face, and I, I find that they always want to do right by their stakeholders.
0: So we, we've we've looked at how to get water, uh, you know, how to how to get water to a better place. How can we get water to a better place on the policy agenda?
1: Yeah, and that's you know the good news on that is everybody knows we need it. <laughs> Everybody knows water matters, right? Nobody. But there is this uh people do take water for granted. They take that, you know, particularly uh in first world countries. We we don't think about how difficult it can be to get clean water. And so there's a you know, I I joke sometimes that You know, my dog can drink out of the toilet bowl because it's really high quality drinking water. You know, I mean, that's unbelievable when you think about it, um, that we we actually flush our toilets with amazingly clean water. So so we often take water for granted until we don't. Uh, So if you look at situations, uh, you know, the one that's gotten a lot of attention in the last few years is Flint, Michigan, of course, uh, I always point to the harmful algal blooms in the western basin of Lake Erie that shut down Toledo's water supply. And by the way, Toledo's just the one you heard about. Uh, for every Toledo and every Flint, there are dozens of situations like that going on that you're not hearing about. So we have to put water at the intersection of the climate change conversation. And one of the ways that I think we do that, it's not going to work to just starting start writing letters to your senators, right? I mean, that's just, that's just not where it's going to happen. I really believe it happens at the community level, uh, both the professional community, as well as your regional community, your stakeholders, the people that, that need your product, and that care about your environment. And so I think it starts by working with an organization like AWWA, who I think is one of your sponsors, Dave. But those organizations are so important because they can, one, collect the data that everybody needs. They can distribute it to all of us who are parts of those organizations. And they can help us mobilize you know it's it's kind of like the labor unions of days of yore Uh, it's through that collective power that we can really uh, push change i know we all like to talk about the power of one and how an individual can really make a difference and certainly that's true in your day-to-day life but on issues like this where you bump up against the political barriers Uh, You really need to have the power of a community-level voice and one that can bring data to the table, that can bring facts to the table, and that can connect those to how people are experiencing climate change. They can connect those data and those facts to that combined sewer overflow, that harmful algal bloom, the situation in Flint. So I think to get the policy impact, you you need that collective voice to really uh, get the attention of politicians and move something forward. And you know, you, we see this in American politics already. Um, I mean, gosh, look at the NRA, you know, <laughs> look, at, look at the Farm Bureau, look at these, these other very powerful lobbies. Um, well, we can lobby too. And we're one of the the most well organized and important sectors of any society, and we have to lobby. We have to lead. The water industry has to lead and lobby on climate change.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you this: uh, folks are very familiar, and at least they've heard of the uh, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a you know there's been a lot made of the money that is flowing towards water. It's kind of a, a, a historic investment in water, but it's still not as much as other industries got, for example, transportation, energy. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've, we've got the politicians ear a little bit. How do we keep it? I mean, is it, is it the same thing? Just, you know, continue to continue to, to lobby and, you know, have the conversation with the politicians. I mean, what, any thoughts on that? Because we, we, we I'm,
1: do- I'm a, I'm a big fan of riding the coattails of the energy industry. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so water is the base of the pyramid for all of these things. So, so yes, when we look at that act, we did not get the level of investment that, uh, obviously, that we hoped for, and definitely that is necessary to address some of the issues that we need to address in the context of climate change. But back to that conference I went to in 2008, it is a water-energy nexus. What happens in our two sectors is inextricable, and a lot of the things that are going to happen in the energy sector, you know, clean energy initiatives, renewable energy, and so forth, we're gonna be tapping into that too. It's not, these aren't silos. Um, This is a Venn diagram. There's There's a big Venn diagram in my mind, and the three partners in it are water, energy, and food. And generally, What benefits one can benefit the other. So I think we have to pay attention to how those funds are being used by the energy sector particularly and how we help them. We should should be partnering with these other sectors. We shouldn't be, well, you know, how much of the pie do I get? There are partners in this. They are our partners and we can't do it without them. We cannot have the impacts we need to have without them. So when it comes to staying visible on, uh, on the radar of the politicians and the policymakers, I think it's because we show up at the table with the people that we think are getting the attention
0: yeah, I, I I I very much appreciate the kind of the uh, the partnership analogy because too often we we are in the silo of water and we can't look around and see why why we aren't getting the funding or why X is happening or why Y is happening and we need to we need to take a broader base approach to develop policy and to understand why uh, we may not be getting what we want.
1: Absolutely. And and I think that, you know, the the petrochem industry, I I think unfairly, and by the way, I don't have any friends or family that work in it in case you wonder. I think they get unfairly characterized as uh, kind of this cutthroat, top line driven, revenue driven industry. All they care about is the money. Um, And that's true of any industry, if we're honest. I mean, Xylem isn't in business to to hug trees, you know, as much as a lot of us do. We're in business to make money, too. And most of us in the water industry are. But we're also just humans. And we all, I think, if you talk to the people in these industries, the vast majority of them generally, genuinely do care about these issues. And you can talk to them and you can come up with ideas for things we can do together. And it's going to require that, you know, go back to my men in black analogy, you know, it's, it's going to require everyone to come together. So we can't just fight over who gets funding. We have to partner with each other, make recommendations for how that funding gets used, um, really influence. We have to become influencers. upon the people who are getting the money.
0: Yeah, great, great perspective. Well, Stephanie, you've been awesome. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and it's just been a a very, very big pleasure of mine. Uh, Do you have a leave behind message?
1: I I do. I, you know, (laughs) where, well, I have several, but I'll I'll try to narrow it down for you. You know, I guess I just want to leave people with the understanding, you know, the, the climate change, issue is obviously very real. It is one, it's worthy of alarm. It's worthy of alarm, but it's not too late. And the water industry more than any other, I believe, can have very near-term impact on reducing greenhouse, greenhouse gases, on Changing our climate future. the The book isn't written yet. There are some thresholds we've crossed. We're never going to go back to pre-industrial temperatures and weather patterns. We're not. We're not going back to that. But there are multiple ways we can go forward, and we all need to learn more about that and about what we can do day to day to write the book the way we want it to turn out. We can write our own ending on this.
0: Oh, I love that. We can write our own ending. That's great. That is, that's a great thought. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Well, speaking of endings, uh, we've come (laughs) to the end of the interview. And so Stephanie, at this point, uh, for those people who want to find out more about you, more about your work, where can they go to get that information?
1: Ah, thank you. Yeah, so I am on LinkedIn. So you can find uh Dr. Stephanie Smith on LinkedIn. I I actually even also have my own webpage about harmful algal blooms that you can find at ysi.com. Um I am on Twitter. My handle is at Waterwoman. And if you would like to uh reach out to me, that Twitter feed is a really good way to do it. So again, that's at Waterwoman. On Twitter, that's a good way for you to to find me if you want to have more dialogue about climate change.
0: Awesome. Well, Stephanie, again, thank you so much for coming on. It was great pleasure speaking with you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Bye, Stephanie.
0: Bye. Who's ready to get out and solve climate change through water? I told you, Stephanie was awesome, and I loved her story about how she came to the water sector. It almost seems like a Saul the Palm moment to me. Uh. Well, I would love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes for this page for info and links on the episode. You can just Google the Water Values Podcast, click the first link that comes up. That is our home on the web at Bluefield, Research, Bluefield Research's site. As I've said uh, numerous times, the Water Values LLC and Bluefield Research are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing agreement. And as part of that, Bluefield Research gives us a home on the web. You can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag WaterValues and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcimsey at Dentons.com and you can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page as well. Well, thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you make it a great day, a great week, and I want to give a huge thank you again to our sponsors. The sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for 2022 are these terrific organizations and companies, the American Water Works Association, Black and Veatch, Can Do, Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard and Curran, Interra, and Xylem. The show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders, so thank you so much. And again, thank you for your support and for listening. I can't tell you how good it is and feels to be a part of this tremendous water industry with such caring and dedicated professionals that I get to work with and interact with every single day. So thank you. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.